And welcome back to Coaching with the Bible. This is episode 114, season 3, episode 5. Our portion of the week is the portion known as Chaye Sarah. And our topic this week is on seeking help. The portion of Chaye Sarah deals with the story of the death of the matriarch Sarah in the aftermath of the binding of Isaac. It also deals with the story of Abraham's servant seeking out a spouse, a wife for Isaac. It's good to be home. It's good to be able to uh, to share this podcast with you this week. It's a lot going on, a lot to think about, a lot to work on, a lot to study. And our topic this week on seeking help, I want to begin with an an essay I wrote in the eighth grade embarrassingly so. And when I was sort of thinking this through as a topic, I don't know how I remembered it, but I remembered writing a very small, I mean, minuscule, very tiny, two-paragraph essay on the word help. And how do I remember it? Somehow it ended up in the yearbook, in the eighth grade yearbook. There's a lot of actual good literature. I mean, some of my friends and classmates could actually write even in the eighth grade. Um, I was not one of them, but somehow this ended up in there. So shout out to Mrs. Zelenitz. For those of you listening who went to school with me or went to the same school know who I'm talking about. She was the eighth grade English teacher. I'm sure I did it at her um, sort of, I wouldn't say request. It's probably an understatement. It probably was an assignment, a homework, a project that I had to have done. For sure, I would not have written anything, let alone put it in the yearbook, had I known it was going to end up in the yearbook. My only connection to the yearbook at the time was that I somehow ended up being the editor of the sports section of the yearbook, which I think makes a lot of sense. But more than that, I don't think I had much to do. But therein is this little piece. And at some point, somewhere along the line, also I remember someone saying they saw it and read it, and I was thoroughly embarrassed. But hey, what are you going to do? The things we write, the things we say, the things we do when we're young, they are there. They don't go away, even in a yearbook from the year 1989. But the topic of seeking help is significant. We talked in the past about asking, how to make an ask. And we'll sort of delve into that a little bit here today. But the idea of asking or seeking help is really crucial what we're going through in terms of the stories in the Bible. In this week's portion, as I mentioned, there are two stories, and really this is a theme that uh, is overarching over a period of time, which I think is larger than just simply asking for help or providing help. It goes deep into the concepts of generosity and when it is that we're generous and how it is that we're generous. And I hope, I hope, I hope soon to have the opportunity to talk about generosity as a skill, the benefits of generosity. But here in this week, specifically about seeking help. I'm often struck by the beginning of the story of Abraham seeking a spouse for his son, Isaac, with a very simple thing that Abraham doesn't do it himself. He is old. The Bible tells us as such. We can work backwards on the math and figure out how old he is ultimately at this point. He's somewhere 
near 140 years old, probably around 137 years old at this point. He's not a youngster. At the same time, we all know, and you certainly know from me, how, how much I hold Abraham in such high regard that it surprises me to some degree that Abraham seeks help in finding a spouse for Isaac and doesn't take care of it directly on his own. In the past, we talked about asking for advice. So we sought out the advice of his friends a couple of weeks ago. We talked about that. But when it came to situations of arguing on behalf of the people of Sodom, he does it himself. When is the story of the binding of Isaac, he obviously goes himself. It's a commandment to him. There's no commandment here, I understand, but it still surprises me to some degree. And so I thought about it a lot, trying to come up with answers. There's a lot of answers that are given as to why Abraham doesn't go. Some of them are very practical. He's elderly. Some of them are more specific in the sense, in the practical sense that um, if Isaac himself is not going to go, as we learn from the text, then Abraham doesn't want to leave him alone here after his mother has just passed away. And so send the servants, stay at home. There's a lot of concern from the commentaries that Abraham is closing in on passing away. It happens to be that ultimately not true. There is an extended period of time still available in his life, years, where he's still around. And so, but it seems to be that having finished the binding of Isaac, having lost Sarah, and now this moment, there's a sense that he is closing in on the end. But I'm still often still struck by the idea that he seeks help. And it's not even a question. He goes right to his right-hand man, Eliezer, his servant, who's been with him for an extended period of time. He makes him swear and he sends him off. He asks him to do this thing for him. Eliezer then goes, and when he's there, Eliezer also then uses a test of asking for help for water as the method by which he's going to seek out this person to be Isaac's wife. And if their response to his seeking help is a specific kind, then he knows that that's the person. Later on in the Bible, we'll get more situations of people seeking help or not seeking help. And so I thought that was very interesting to me. There's a concept in, in Jewish law about sending a messenger, that when you send a messenger, it's like sending yourself. Okay, there's certainly no question that that the servant is going on the behest and at the request and in the place of Abraham, there's no question that that's true. Now, why that's true, I don't exactly know. Or why the Bible specifically is telling us that this way, I also am not sure why that is the case. It's a very extended uh, story. We talked about it a couple of years ago. We talked about the loyalty of the servant to the master and the concept of loyalty. But it's fascinating to sort of go through it uh, in the great depth that the Bible does to learn a lot of lessons from it. But asking for help is, I think, enormously difficult for us. We're not good at it. Let's just say it that way. 
there's something about asking for help which we struggle with, right? Why? For the most part, it has to do with the sense that it shows weakness. That if we have to seek out the help of others, that means we are not able to stand on our own. We cannot accomplish this by ourselves. And that, for some reason, is weakness. And it may be from you know, our earliest days as children, when we're at home playing or when we're in school, in the early days of school, sort of we only sought out help when we sort of reached the edges of our capacity to do anything. But even in those spaces, you'll find kids, and I think I was one of them, who did not like to ask for help. I still struggle with the idea in situations of asking people for help. I definitely have that feeling that asking people to help me out with something is a sign of weakness. I always share my stuff here with you in Coaching with the Bible because I'm always a work in progress and this is certainly something I'm working on too. And also I saw a devastating quote from um, our, our teacher and master right here in Coaching with the Bible, Brene Brown, with respect to asking help and providing help and how that sort of goes. And here's that quote, and this is why it's so powerful. She said, when you cannot accept and ask for help without self-judgment, that when you offer other people help, you're always doing so with judgment. Again, when you cannot accept and ask for help without self-judgment, then when you offer other people help, you're always doing so with judgment. Because rather than simply just person asks you for help, you help them. When you sort of couch it in the space of when I'm asking for help, X and Y and Z is going through my mind in that space, then it's always coming from a space of self-judgment. And in many cases, she doesn't say this, but I maybe think this is an extension, then you're judging the other person who's asking you for help. And we don't like to be judged. We certainly shouldn't like judging other people, but that's sort of what's going on. And then the generosity level of your providing of that help is actually diminished. And so when we think about why it is that we don't like help, there's a book called Um, There's an author named Wayne Baker who wrote a book called All You Have to Do is Ask. And he talks about why we don't like to ask. We're too self-reliant. We don't want to appear weak, ignorant, or incompetent. We lack what's called psychological safety. Maybe the situation, the circumstance that we're in doesn't provide us with the feeling of feeling comfortable making an ask. There's certainly environments like that, work environments like that for sure, where asking others for help is a sign of weakness. The fourth thing he says is we assume that there's no one who can help us. Like, so when we're sitting and we're sort of festering inside our problem without a solution, so it's hard for us, A, to imagine that there's someone out there who can help us, and B, who that person might actually be. He also says that we may feel like we don't deserve to be helped. We haven't earned the privilege of making a request. In some cases, that's true. Certainly, if we're new to a position or we're new to an environment, and maybe we don't have the we don't feel like we've we have the right to ask. When the truth is the opposite, is probably true. And then, of course, we don't want to appear selfish. We don't want to appear selfish. I would add that we don't want to also feel like we're in a space where um, 
someone owes us a favor of some variety. And like, there's so many reasons then as to why it is that we don't ask. And so we have to then be um, smarter and appreciate that, that we have to live into the space of help, of seeking help. The piece I wrote in eighth grade was about if the English language didn't have the word help, what would you say? It's such a powerful word, it's such an important word. What would you say instead? The example I gave in that little article was if someone's drowning, God forbid, in a river somewhere and they had to yell out something to get someone to come save them and they couldn't use the word help, like, what would they say? And so in that moment, it's easy for us to obviously yell something or in a case where it's God, you know, God forbid, it's a life you know, a life situation, so perhaps a life-saving situation. So then in those cases, we are more, let's say, comfortable, more able to overcome our discomfort around it and ask for help. But we have to appreciate the following thing, which is this. Help is actually a sign of strength. Help is actually a sign of wanting to win. Help is a sign of our willingness to be open. Help is a sign of our willingness to be vulnerable. Help is also a sign of courage and help is a sign of our humility. All those things can be true at the same time and they are. There's a great quote from someone named Les Brown who I've quoted before in Coaching with the Bible. Les Brown is a motivational speaker, super interesting man. And he said, ask for help, not because you are weak, but because you want to remain strong. Meaning that you care. When you're asking for help, you care. It's not like you just want to waste someone's time. You actually care. You want to get something done. You want to get something accomplished. You want to move forward. You want to complete a goal. And so in so being focused on that success, you appreciate that you can't get there alone and that you need help. You need a teammate. You need an assist. You need someone who's going to jump in there and be there with you. And those things are all true, and they're all true at the same time. But it's important to us also appreciate how to ask in a work environment, in a life environment. How do we make that ask? How do we put that ask out there for help? Again, we talked last year about asking. Specifically, I was just talking about asking for anything in the context of the work that I do on a day-to-day. -day. It's about asking for money, right? Asking for donations. It's also asking people for time in volunteering. It's also asking people to take on roles that they're not comfortable with. And so it's important that we get a sense of understanding of how to ask, what to ask, and when to ask. And so probably we should practice. Practice asking for help. It sounds bizarre, but let's practice asking for help. So the first thing to think of is, and this comes again from Wayne Baker, is getting some clarity around what you're asking. So he says the following, try this. I'm currently working on blank and I could use help to blank. So fill in those two blanks. I'm working on X and I could use help to Y. That allows you to get real clarity about what it is that you're doing and what exactly it is that you need. Or say it slightly differently. I'm struggling to X and I could really benefit from Y. It's a very practical way of sort of going about it, but it's not enough. 
Another article that I read earlier to, uh, in preparation for this in Psychology Today, we have to appreciate that we have to do our homework first. And so certainly in a work environment, in a work environment, we can't simply just ask someone every ridiculous question that comes to our mind. It's important that when we make an ask of someone else and we're asking for their help because we can't get something done, that we show them that we tried first or that we thought about a couple of possible solutions and sought them out after having done that. So if it's a silly question that could take me five seconds on Google, right? To just a basic search of what something means or how to do something basic. So probably we should do that first. But if it's more complex than that, or requires a skill set that we know we don't have, so then great. Now we're gonna make an ask. Where do we start? Who do we start with? So probably in the work environment or certain environments, we want to start at the top. We're not going to go ask the president to do, to do a minor thing for us. But maybe we're going to ask sort of a horizontal colleague, someone who's on our team, right, to help us out first. That might be the easiest. Someone you do work with on a regular basis. There's sort of, a, you know, an exchange there on, an ex, on a regular basis as well. And so that's an easy sort of way to get that solved, especially if they can do that for you or you know that that, is possible for them. So that's really first. Then you maybe want to go slightly up the chain or down the chain to make sure that you're getting the right person in that space to ask. And then when we're trying to ask, it's really important that we appreciate the right communication channel. How do we make that ask of someone, of someone such that they're willing to do this? So I saw a talk by a psychologist named Heidi Grant, who said very, directly and emphatically, do not ask for help over email or text. I know we do it because the discomfort of asking someone directly face-to-face or on the phone is enormous. I know that because I know that from fundraising, that's certainly true. But the research seems to show that an in-person request for help is 30 times more likely to get a yes. 30 times more likely to get a yes. And also appreciate the following, which is also shown the opposite, is saying no in email and text is equally as uncomfortable. I'm a little less uncomfortable with that. Like, I'm good at saying no to a lot of things, admittedly. But I think it's really true that when someone makes an ask and there's that discomfort sort of rolling through you and it's sort of now burning in your in your innards when that person asks you to do something and you have to say no, you need to say no, Saying no is super uncomfortable. But also appreciate that when it is that you're trying to ask, she adds, stop apologizing. Don't add disclaimers. Don't make it even more uncomfortable in the ask. Just ask. Explain what the ask for help is. Explain maybe why it is that you need help. Explain what you may have done already to try to find a solution. And then be specific about what is the ask and why. Abraham is incredibly specific in the Bible about what he's looking for, what he's not looking for from from his servant here. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't have any sort of, you know, bribery in that situation. It's a direct, in-person, very intimate kind of ask that he's making. And the last thing that uh, Dr. Grant adds is that follow-up is really important. 
In her research, she stated that what's most rewarding for people who have provided help is knowing that they helped, that what they did had a landing, that it had impact, and not just the actual help itself. So it's important to appreciate that that's in fact true. Obviously, when the servant comes back with a spouse for Isaac, who is in fact equal to the task of being his wife, equal to the task of being the next matriarch in the family, very much, not ironically, like Abraham in her ability to provide a high level of generosity and goodness to others. That's the sort of the completion of the loop for Abraham that in fact what it was that he was trying to do actually was accomplished. And so what we then get here with respect to asking for help is that we know that it's uncomfortable. We know that it's actually something that we have to do. It's something that we can practice and work on and get better at. It's something that we can learn a method to how we can do that. On the flip, for just a moment, it's also important to appreciate that being a person who is, in fact, willing to help is important that we make that clear. And so as much as that we have to make it clear that we need help and we have to ask for help, we also have to be on the other side of that uh, clear that we are willing to help and that we are able to help and ready to help when that opportunity is presented, except that we don't always know when that opportunity is presented to us. And so to end as always with a great quote, here's a great uh, Chinese proverb that I saw. If you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. That is Coaching with the Bible for this week. See you next week. Have a good one.